Future of Work Florida. Welcome to the Future of Work Florida podcast, brought to you by the Florida Chamber of Commerce and Florida Chamber Foundation. This podcast series is dedicated to equipping Florida's business leaders with the knowledge, solutions, and resources available to secure Florida's workforce talent. Today, we are bringing you a special edition podcast episode featuring a panel discussion between thought leaders in Florida's tech space at our 2022 Future of Florida Forum. Tech, workforce, and education experts Saifi Shouf, managing partner of Lab22C, Madeline Pumariega, president of Miami-Dade College, Ruben Harris, CEO and co-founder of Career Karma, and Michael Harbois, global director of education partnerships for Handshake, discuss how Florida's tech industry plays a major role in boosting Florida's economy and attracting and retaining the best workforce talent. We couldn't be more excited to jump into a conversation with three really outstanding leaders in our state and in our country talking about this big question mark that all of us in the chamber care so deeply about, which is the question around what ultimately are going to be the drivers around activating talent so that our Florida can actually reach this agenda of becoming the 10th largest economy in the world in the year 2030. So we really want to dive right in. I think that everyone here might know who our panelists are. We have some esteemed speakers, but I think it helps us reorient the perspectives before we jump into the questions for each panelist to just share uh, essentially a tweetable tweet about who they are and where they sit within the talent ecosystem. I'll start with President Pumariega. Madeline Pumariega, president of Miami-Dade College, where we believe talent is universal, opportunity is not. In order for us to be the 10th largest economy, we have to harness everyone's talent by aligning opportunities to business and industry. Thank you. It's really hard to follow. That was good. <laughs> I didn't even know that we had yeah, that right. question. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Michael Harbaugh, Global Director of Education Partnerships at Handshake. We're focused on democratizing access to opportunity across the entire United States and now in the UK and Europe as well, doing that by enabling over 1,500 university and community college partners to help their students find the best possible um, jobs and following it up with helping all learners skill and reskill in the new economy. Ruben Harris, co-founder and CEO of Career Karma. We help job training programs find qualified applicants. We have about two and a half million people a month that come to us looking for career advice, mostly women and people of color. Um, when we match them to job training programs focused on technology. When we say technology, it's not just software engineering, it's sales, customer success. And we make sure that in order for them to stay enrolled in programs, we connect them to peers, mentors, and coaches in audio rooms, kind of like Discord and Clubhouse had a baby focus on careers. Community is our secret sauce. We're entering into the end of the age of, of occupational identity. Um, and, and I'm really excited about these, these six pillars. Excellent. Okay, so we, he, we can see what the perspectives are represented here. And ultimately, this question about talent that matters for so many of us in the state of Florida is really around answering what do we actually need to do to be able to build the type of roster so that our state can actually compete at a global level. And so, President Pumariega, I'm going to start with you. You have a really unique perspective, having served as chancellor of our state college system and now in your leadership role as president of Miami-Dade College. 
Uh, I'm curious to get, get your insights on what are the most important steps that institutions like yours have taken, are taking around preparing learners at scale to be able to meet the global workforce's needs, specifically with respect to this issue topic of the blending between curricular, experiential learning, on-the-job training, and uh, welcoming a universe of learners as opposed to merely students. Share some insights on the work that you've been doing at Miami-Dade College and more broadly here in our state. Great question, Saif. I want to say it builds on the Chamber's work in terms of future of work. When you think about Florida's blueprint and securing our future, and you think about each one of those pillars, it builds on each one of that. I don't, you know, what Dave Lawrence talked about, third grade reading levels, very important, right? Like, how do you take that and build that? Now, when you get to higher education, what we know is that a post-secondary credential is a path to prosperity. It's not a linear four-year pathway to college, but the jobs being created need post-high school training. And that's going to require higher education to blur the lines between credit and non-credit. Um, if I could remove non-credit from all of our terminology, I would. No one wakes up in the morning and goes, I want to take a non-credit coding class. No, they want to level up, upskill, earn a certification that's going to position them to jump on any one of these platforms and connect them to a job. So I think how we do that as institutions critical. The second aspect of it is um, ensuring, as we do now in most of our colleges, have business and industry partners working on curriculum and faculty so that way we are not having to reteach or retool a student who graduates, but they leave with the applied knowledge that's necessary. And I think when we think about the future of work, there are three distinctive skill sets that we expect employees to have, that we expect graduates to have. One is the academic skills that you learn, whether it's history and computation and civics and financial literacy. The second, it's on the blueprint and securing our future, and that's employability skills. Um, I think it's soft. I think it's really enterprise skills, design thinking, communication, dependability, the ability to work as a team. And because of what we've seen with the pandemic and the post-acceleration of technology, today they're going to need to have digital skill sets. Because the number one threat to any one of our organizations is someone who goes fishing and opens the door for a cybersecurity attack. So we're going to need to understand that at all levels. But we're proud that 500 of our faculty at Miami-Dade College last year went through a workshop on artificial intelligence and predictive analytics. We put a grant program together, and they wrote grants how they will integrate AI into the curriculum and this was not technology faculty, it was nursing faculty, humanities faculty, business faculty, really building out those digital skill sets, not in a silo, but horizontally. Thank you so much for sharing that, President Pumariega. Again, let's give her a round of applause because what I think a really critical bit of information that President Pumariega shared there was about the idea that the faculty at your institution you challenge them to step up and embrace a growth mindset around a frontier technology like artificial intelligence, which we all know if we want to ensure our country's competitiveness in a really, really complex world where countries like India and China are churning out engineers at scale, it means that we have to not only radically upskill 
the learners, but we also have to ensure that the educators themselves have those frontier technology skill sets. And I know that, uh, Ruben, at Career Karma, you think a lot about this very issue topic, particularly around the domain of not just the traditional learners within our institutions like Miami-Dade College, but also how is it that we are meeting people that might be out there as adult learners so that they can make and take opportunities. And so what are the next steps, not only learners, but now we're going to put it to all of us who are business leaders. What are the steps that corporate partners can actually be taking to ensure that we are preparing learners and our workforce to be able to compete and thrive in the second half of the 21st century? And what are those competencies that you look for and that your platform is able to help equip those learners with in filling those gaps in the occupational spectrum? Big question, big question. <laughs> but um, uh, thank you for the, for the setup. So I'll, before giving action items, I think it's important to say that the $2.2 trillion post-secondary education market is unbundling. So it's not about college versus non-traditional education. Like she said, there's, there's college, there's non-degree programs like eCornell, there's corporate courses like Salesforce Trailhead, there's boot camps, there's MOOCs. And I really like what she said about credit versus non-credit because it's important to think about stackable credentials. Stackable credentials. Because um, just because employers are dropping the requirement to have a college degree, and that's very popular right now, doesn't mean that just because you hire someone with a skill set without a college degree, that they don't want that option in the future. So I think one of the first action items that an employer can do is drop the requirement to have a college degree. Second one is making sure that if you are educating people through skills-first initiatives, that it has that stackable credential component to it. Uh, something that um, we were talk talking about before we got on stage is that a lot of these low-volume initiatives, like I think apprenticeships and interests are very important, but like you said, India and China are churning out people at scale. And so if we want to train people in any skill set, it has to actually be in big volume. So how do we think about not just training 50 engineers or 100 engineers, but thousands and millions? If you're investing in these warehouses, how do you start thinking at scale? We need to think bigger in that, in that regard. Um, so if I was going to break down three pillars for employers, I will start thinking about external talent pipelines, internal talent pipelines, and then how do you leverage your team in order to help everybody get there? Because a lot of employers are offering education benefits for their talent to take advantage of. But a lot of times those education benefits are just focused on attracting talent and retaining talent. Not necessarily driving business outcomes and helping people go from one place to another. We're, like I live in Miami. My sister lives here in the Orlando area. From what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, 50% of Miami is in the service sector making $35,000 a year in jobs that can be automated. We want to make sure that our company isn't just, every company is a tech company, but we want to build our people to the future with us as well. So how can you invest in a warehouse and invest in robotics, but also make sure that those warehouse workers have the option to take advantage of the benefits and be in the technology roles as well. So really think about those things. And just because you're offering these things doesn't mean that they'll actually know how to get the help that they need whenever they're stuck. And a lot of times the people that are funding the programs don't have the guys that they need. So how do you think about coaching and mentorship when it comes to internal talent mobility is what I would say. Ruben, uh, I appreciate that insight. And I want to double click with you on something before we jump uh, to Michael, which is that how do you look at businesses when the traditional HR and people function was really built for 
the end of the 20th century and not the paradigm that we're entering into. And that's essentially a translation that a chief people officer has to be somebody that is uh, ravenously curious about learning and development. How do you contend in the work that you're doing at Career Karma, particularly on your work at the enterprise level, with an idea that there's a challenge there? I mean, I, th- I think the, the role of a CHRO is starting to become more and more powerful. I don't know if you all know this, but the current CEO of LinkedIn actually doesn't have a college degree, which is interesting because most people that don't have college degrees don't have LinkedIn profiles. And when you think about this as a, as a CHRO that's working with the L&D department or a benefits department, it's important to be mindful of what happened in the last three years. So there's the pandemic hit, and we have remote work. We have online education. I was reading a stat before I came here. I believe it's 2.7 billion workers, which is 80% of our global workforce, is deskless. So even if you're offering things online, if they don't have a computer, how do you get to them? How do you get to them mobile first? So figuring out how to take advantage of online education in addition to the the needs of, of meeting people where they are using remote first technologies like your smartphone and, and apps and technology is going to be very important. Thanks so much for sharing that insight, Ruben. Michael, Handshake is arguably the most consequential campus to career bridging technology, powering big chunks of universities right here in the great state of Florida, particularly career service centers. How is Handshake thinking about this next chapter, particularly the future for learners, both students and non-traditional learners, the offerings that you all are building out and helping that broader portfolio of learners, not only uh, around the country, but in a state like Florida? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think about it two different ways. I think about it in terms of uh, breadth and depth. So today we're partnered with about 45 colleges and universities across the state, which is great. We're helping all of those students hopefully um, start and grow their careers. But only 10 of those institutions right now are members of the um, Florida college system. And we know those institutions are specifically (laughs) so closely tied to workforce development and especially supporting non-traditional learners. So it's a little bit of a boring answer, but um, we need to grow that network. And we needed to bring more of those institutions into a network that can help democratize access and get more opportunities to their door. But beyond that, we also have to think not just about four-year and two-year institutions. Really excited that Handshake is starting to branch out, and we want to partner with boot camps. We want to partner with micro-credentialing organizations. Anywhere that students are going to get a credential that's supporting their career, we want to be the marketplace and the network that helps them bring that to employers and helps employers go and proactively find that talent. So broadening that definition for us of what is a partner is hopefully going to be something that helps us better accomplish our mission um, and helps those learners be found. So that's, that's the breadth. If we think about the depth, I'm actually really excited because you actually validated this right before we came on stage, <laughs> which is um, we're really doubling down on skills and credentialing in Handshake. What we've seen is uh, we, we need to get beyond these anachronistic measures of how we find talent. It's degree, it's school year, it's grades, it's do you have this logo from this institution. Everyone's going to go to lots of different institutions over the course of their lives. We're all going to probably upskill and reskill five, ten times throughout our careers at this point. We need to be able to identify learners based on all of those things. So what we're doing is building the ability for qualified skills, which I know is a buzzword. I'll try and define it. Qualified skills to be found by employers. What does that mean? It means 
if a learner is graduating from Miami-Dade and they've taken a set of courses, maybe we can automatically pull out all of the skills that we know they have learned from their coursework, but also look at their handshake profile where we have all of their work experience, their organizational affiliation, and all these other pieces that make the story of who they are. I always share my story. I was a history major, which means I majored in unemployment. Um, and my first job out of college was calculus teacher, which makes no sense unless you look at all the time that I spent working in like social justice education programs after school. And so if we can help students tell that story and pull out those skills and then put them in a marketplace where employers can actually find them, that can really change the way that employers are able to recruit. And I'm excited because we're gonna be doing that really in close partnership with institutions like Miami-Dade, and they're gonna be leading from the front on that. Thanks so much. Yeah. Michael, President Pomariega. I wanna double click on that because I think, you know, with blockchain technologies, with Web3 right now, we can really create that digital wallet. And what we're talking about is the academic transcript is not going to be enough. In the future, yeah. the academic transcript may be just a point of validation, but not the, the point of prerequisites and minimum requirements. And so how do we then leverage blockchain technologies and have a student who sets up a handshake profile or builds a skills locker, have it on their phone, which when they go in to apply, you scan it, it's got it there. If you took this course, it relates into these skills that are needed for this job. Um, when you earn those badges and credentials along the way, it's all creating, as Ruben said, a stackable pathway into a professional pathway, um, if you will. And I think it's going to take all of us, uh, business and industry, tech, and innovation alongside education to drive that kind of change at scale, not at pilot. We have no time. If you're piloting something with 25 students, pat yourself on yeah. the back you're not having major impact. We've got to look at how do you break down where those barriers exist so that you work at scale. If Florida is going to be the 10th largest economy, if we're going to arrive to 60% of Floridians having a high value credential, and if we're going to make sure that 80% of Floridians have the employability skills to get a job, keep a job, upskill in a job, and earn their way to prosperity. Thank you for sharing that. I also feel like you throwing out blockchain was meant to be like bait for me to jump at it, and I'm going to jump at it right <laughs> okay, now. That was a soft I know. Pitch thank you. Thank you. you. I appreciate you know? that. But I, I do want to say something that uh, I think is really relevant. I think a lot about this in the work we do at Lab 22C, working with some of the best frontier technology companies in the world that now call the great state of Florida home. That drawing from the world of blockchain, what we've seen and what the pandemic really ushered in in many regards, is the decentralization of global innovation. And it now means that there are no longer incumbent hubs like the Boston Life Sciences Corridor or Silicon Valley or Austin. It means that so many companies, founders and funders have realized that states like our Florida and regions like the I-4 corridor, like the Space Coast, like the West Coast, all over Florida have, we are essentially a mecca of talent. But against that, drop, against that backdrop of talent, we have to actually activate that. And that really comes from campus to career. And so the decentralization of American innovation means that regions that have business leaders like Mark Wilson, like each one of you, that are finding ways to come up with novel programs 
And I saw this during my time at FIU, working hand in hand with faculty members and also alternative technology companies like Handshake and Career Karma, there's a better, there's a better path forward. I wanna ask each one of you for a, a closing thought. And we're talking today all about this idea of Florida in the year 2030, and there's quite a jump from where we are today to be able to get eight years into the future. And so I wanna ask each one of you to, to give us a perspective around, if we were to imagine Florida in the year 2030, and we have reached our highest point of success in optimizing talent. Given the role that each one of you play and your institutions play, what would that Florida look like and what should it look like in the year 2030? Michael, I'll start with you, then we'll go to Ruben and we'll give Madam President the closer. Yeah. For me, I think we've, in 2030, we've helped solve this gap that exists today between all of these learners who desperately want to get into the workforce and all of you who are looking for that talent, and there's a disconnect. We've helped close that gap by creating really seamless flow of information between higher education institutions, non-traditional education partners, and the workforce. And we also are providing data back to local workforce development orgs, back to the Chamber of Commerce to see where do we need to develop more learning programs. Where do we need to attract more businesses because we have um, an excess of talent in this specific industry? That data is out there. We just need to move from a place of that data being a lot of um, noise to a lot of signal. So it's that combination of the data and the infrastructure. We can close that gap in the next eight years. Thank you so much for that insight. Ruben. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about the private sector. I think the, it's important to have the private sector involved with these six pillars, but I think it's important to also acknowledge that the public sector puts more into workforce development than the private sector ever has or ever will. So I think, I've always wondered why the Department of Education and Department of Labor don't work together. So how can we work together to have the public sector incentivizing these programs at skill, focus, at skill, focus on skills first initiatives? And how can we normalize this stackable credential pathway so that those, these Floridians can reach the point that um, uh, the president just shared with us. Thank you so much, Ruben. President Pumariega. So 2030, we're number one in workforce in Florida. We set out the goal that go the governor said on his first day that we would be number one talent um, state in the country and in the world. And how do we get there? It's going to require us to continue to work at scale, but I think that one of the things is the continued investments. We're seeing more and more in Florida the investments in workforce the investments, as Ruben was saying, you have the Department of Labor and Department of Education working in concert together, whether it's building second chance programs, whether it's building apprenticeship programs, internships, um, or giving credit for prior learning, just like we're doing today with military veterans, where we're going to give them college credit. We're doing that at scale, whether you're working at Walmart, you're working in an IT company, or you've come out of the military. Um, I think that we're scaling those things that we know are proof points um, today in building that talent ecosystem. Um, and by 2030, we'll have those measurements accomplished, the goals and the blueprint, but most importantly, have a talent ecosystem that's nimble enough to be able to adjust to the growing economy, the innovative economy, and what I believe will be the future of work, which will not be as stagnant as we've seen in the 20th century. The second half of the 21st century are jobs that today we could not even imagine will exist, and we're building for those skills today.
Very, very well said. Um, I think that we've heard from three leaders that are helping us push our state forward in different ways. What one piece of advice, quick piece of advice, would you share or ask, would you make of the business leaders in our state right now, because we have so many of them, uh, that what would you ask of them that is in a single affirmative step that they could take to help push forward these efforts in closing the gaps uh, in our talent paradigm? I'll start with President Pumariega and work our way back to Ruben. Be an accelerator. I think when you look at J.P. Morgan Chase, we see what's happened with IBM, the partnerships that we have at the college, whether it's Tesla, and you think about we have a partnership at, with Tesla on automotive technician. Our local employers came to us and said, will you build for us? And we did, and we grew two more cohorts um, and now are hitting three cohorts that are going to be automotive technicians across South Florida. I think you can do that around a, in tech, what we're doing and leveraging and harnessing the IBMs that are coming in, the Microsoft, the Apples, who are investing their talent, investing some of their uh, treasure, but most importantly, they're providing the platform for the technical skills. Join into that movement. And then the third, um, there is no sideline. I think we're all in it together. Um, you have a local college in your community, and I know that I, that president will raise their hand to say, how can we work collaboratively? You're going to hear a panel coming up. You'll hear from another college president. You'll see we're doing it. So you're not in this by yourself. If you're an HR office wondering how are we going to hire, reach out to one of us, and we're happy to curate a program that helps us advance impact across the state of Florida. Thank you, President Pomariga. Michael? I would say don't think of the higher education partners that you work with as the only resource to be scaling and upscaling your workforce. You're a partner in that too. They want to hear from you about your vision for how you can collaboratively create the future of what you need coming out of um, community college, coming out of technical colleges, coming out of universities. They want that voice, and it is a collaborative conversation to figure out how are we creating the future of um, a Florida skilled workforce. I'm hopeful that we can be a part of that at Handshake, but really what I see is most exciting every day is when that dynamic conversation is taking place between business leaders who are coming to higher education and saying, here's what we need, let's build it together. And that's really exciting, and I think that type of collaboration is something that's a new paradigm, at least in the last probably couple decades, and it's really, I think, finally going to reach fruition in the coming uh, decade. Really excited to be a part of it, and I think it's um, an interesting call to action and maybe an interesting responsibility for everyone in this room to figure out how do we build that together. I'll give you three quick things since I know we're out of time. So number one, if you want to be an accelerator uh, in your employer, go to careercom.com slash enterprise. <laughs> if you are someone that uh, wants to break into tech or know someone that wants to break into tech, go to careercom.com slash apply. If you want to ask questions and in general, instead of around and listen to the voice of people, the purpose of technology is to give people a voice, the power to create, the power to organize. We've got to listen to them. Go to careercoming.com slash events. If you don't see any of that and you just want to talk to me, Ruben at careercoming.com. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's Future of Work Florida podcast. To find out more about the resources discussed in today's segment, we invite you to visit our website at flchamber.com forward slash future of work Florida. Together, we can champion the future of work and create America's best workforce right here in Florida. Be sure to subscribe for future content.